0: Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Circe podcast. We're glad you're here today. I want to remind you, if you'd like to give to what God is doing here in Circe, you can text the word Circe to 88000 or go to newlifechurch.tv giving to give online. As always, thank you so much for your faithfulness and supporting the local church. Now prepare your hearts for a great word from Pastor Kevin today. Um, so if if I get to do one thing in this series, I hope that you just kind of leave it um, thinking differently about some aspect of the life of Christ. And I think if we can do that, then that's a, a win. I think sometimes as believers, especially if you've been following Christ for a while, we can have a tendency to get stuck. And uh, we stay in frames of thought and we stay uh, stuck in theology and we don't know where to go and, and, and so on. And so I like a series that kind of messes with our minds a little bit. So... Um, If you weren't here last week, let me recap just a little bit. This is the story of Jesus, and it's being told by Simon Peter 30 years after the resurrection. So for the past three decades, um, there has been a lot of activity, a lot of churches, a lot of planting, a lot of sharing of the good news. And here Simon Peter reaches this place in his life where he is asked by John Mark to basically unload his story one more time so that they can write it down. Okay, so the story of Jesus being told by Simon Peter three decades after the resurrection, dictated to and edited by his traveling companion, John Mark, which we know as Mark. And this is a story that should have never left Rome. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Peter will soon be arrested. And he doesn't know it yet, but he's never leaving that city. He's going to die there. And so this is a great opportunity that has been given them, maybe even inspired by the Spirit for them to come together this last time for this dictation and so that all of this can be penned. And here we are thousands of years later talking about it. It's it's amazing if you stop and think about it. So I want to pick up where we left off in Mark 1 last week. This is the words of Simon Peter written by John Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. So he starts off immediately prefacing what this is going to be about. It's good news. This is about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay? Okay. And he's setting up his story. And as we said last week, if the gospel that you are bound to is not good news, then you probably have not paid attention, close attention to Simon Peter's version. Because it's good news for us. It's good news for the world. And so in Mark chapter 1 and verse 14, I'm just going to kind of lead you through a couple of chapters today, so I'll reference Scripture often. But Mark 1 and 14, it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And the good news of Jesus is kind of what what we talked about last week. What is that? What does that mean? We talked about how you and I, on The 2,000 year later end of that story, we tend to identify it as, well, it's the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But in chronological order, when you think about the message of Jesus kind of being slowly unveiled, He didn't just come on on the scene and say, this is what's going to happen with me. No. He started to minister to people, and the whole uh, preface of, of His message, the whole apex, rather, was that he's got good news, and that is that the kingdom of God is near. And So he says that in verse 15, he says, The time has come, the kingdom of God is near, and this meant something to to them, okay? Because it meant God's kingship, God's authority, things that they had perceived to be so far away was now going to be brought near to them was an exciting message. The appropriate response then, he gives us in the next verse, and he says, so repent and believe the good news. Now again, when you and I hear the word repent, a lot of times with our western ears, we tend to think of, you know, stop sinning, uh, knock it off kind of thing, but it actually The word there is also included, the the definition is to just change direction. And so Jesus was saying, hey, you've been going this way for a long time. Why don't you consider the way I am going to lead you? I'm about to change things completely. I'm going to do something new. Repent toward that. Change direction toward that and believe. So things that I'm going to share with you, believe them. Be all in. Open your heart to them. Open your mind to them. Open your thinking to them. Take a look at your worldview and consider it through this message of good news. So he says that should be our response to repent or change direction and believe in the good news. That God is near. Right? And so that's where we ended last week. And basically that was Jesus introducing a new way of living rather than a new way of dying. And keep in mind that theology up to that point was primarily focused upon eternity. We did everything we could and we crossed every T and we dotted every I for the main purpose of having a great eternity. Jesus is going to come in and start to say things like, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly and he's going to change people's lives. He's going he's to put a personal touch to them. He's going to have dinner with them. He's going to talk to them. He's going to interrupt the life of sinners. He's going to call people down from trees. Zacchaeus, get down here. He's going to go home with folks. He's going to break bread. He's going to reveal heaven. He's going to heal people and change people's lives. Why? Because he wants their life right now on this side of heaven to be good. And that's good news. And it's still good news for you and, and I today. And some of you might be here and you're still trying to cross T's and dot I's and jump through hoops and do everything that you think religion demands of you so that eternity can be great. And I'll, I'll address just a little bit of that in just a moment. But I think we got to rest for a, a second. Catch our breath rest and know that God is good and that God is being brought near. And that was the message of Jesus. And that's why it was good. Okay? So, what was the community's reaction to this? Let's take a small peek. Mark chapter 1, verse 22. The people were amazed at His teaching, it said. Because He taught them as someone who had authority. Not as teachers of law. Okay? So, meaning he wasn't just teaching law, but he's coming as an authoritarian on that law. As if he knows what's behind it. He's giving revelation of motives behind law that even has been misinterpreted. So they're amazed at him, Like, man, you, you talk different. You speak about heaven differently, eternity, the life we're in is all different. This is just, and they were amazed at him. Now, it goes on six verses later in verse 28 and says, and news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Now, I showed you this map last week, and basically it was um, the river valley, the Jordan river, river Valley, and in the south you've got the Dead Sea, and in the north side you've got the Sea of Galilee, and Nazareth there um, to the west where Jesus grew up. And all along the Sea of Galilee there are these little fishing communities. And this is where he called uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew uh, to him was as he just kind of made his way through this Galilean region. And this is news has spread. And this whole Galilean region is on fire with his teachings. They want to know more. They want to hear more. And the crowds are pressing in. As a matter of fact, the word crowd is mentioned in every chapter in Mark except for two. I mean, they are dealing with crowds. The church is exploding. I mean, they're moving messages to hillsides to accommodate people. And so uh, this whole message has caught fire. The big point there is Jesus was being well received. Now what I'm about to say is very important and I want you to keep in mind that the world in that time had some similarity to the world in which you and I are currently living. Meaning this, there was a lot of religious faction and there was a lot of religious diversity. So a lot of different belief systems. Okay now now, very much different than what we would now call denominations, because these were very, very separate. Okay, the gaps were far in between, rather than just one uh, very small thing that created a new denomination. Let me give you an example. There was a pagan view where idolatry had set in, just a very paganistic mindset, worship anything and everything. There was the Roman view which is very centered upon control, violence, dominance, immorality. There was the Jewish view, and there was also a Greek view. And all of these people were coexisting, living very closely together, influencing each other. And in some communities, it was very difficult to even walk in and get a temperature of what people believed because they had so influenced each other, it was almost like a hybrid type of belief system going on. But Jesus was now going to be introducing a storyline that would disrupt the peace of all of them. So His teaching is going to confront pagans and disrupt the Romans and the Jews. He is going to disrupt people, and you and I know how it turns out, to the point where they want to kill Him. So he becomes so popular and so life-changing, and they don't have a context for him. They don't know what to do with him. So much so that it's like if we would just kill him, this would solve all of it. I mean, we don't, we don't have time to sit around in small rooms and try to debate this guy. He's so much smarter than we are, and he's quick. And he's got authority. There's something special about this guy. And if we don't deal with him, he's going to turn the whole thing upside down. This is what's happening, okay? So, I want to talk about three paradigm-shifting narratives that Jesus started. And I think that these things still can be applicable to the 21st century postmodern church that you and I are in. Okay, and but I'm going to let the cat out of the bag. I'm going to give you the spark notes really quick. And go ahead and and get to the punchline. I'm going to tell you the the, the three, and then I'm going to to talk about them. The three things are this. Jesus is going to come on the scene, has authority, has momentum, drawing crowds, healing people. And the first thing is he is going to ignore religious protocol. Doesn't care about it. He honors it, um, deals with it and I'll tell you how in just a a moment, but he ignores religious protocol. The second thing is he's going to claim to have the authority to forgive sin, which is huge. And then third, he's uncomfortably comfortable being around sinners. All right, so this is brand new. Like, suddenly... Uh, you know, religious folks are going to hang out with religious folks and sinners are going to hang out with sinners. And Jesus comes on the scene and says, you know, a physician is called to be around those who are sick, not those who are well. And he starts to challenge their entire worldview, and I love that. So this is an important talk because Jesus is actually removing three big obstacles to God. He's trying to reshape and set up what's about to happen as it culminates toward or points toward his death and resurrection. Unfortunately, a few centuries later, the church decides we should bring those obstacles back. And so maybe, just maybe one of these obstacles you still struggle with Today, so I'm going to talk about narrative one, ignoring religious protocol. We talked a little bit about this last week. Man, it's so easy for us to become religious over being just a follower of Jesus. It, it is in us to identify with a group, to say, Well, I've, I've got to be called this or to be called that. It's funny, and I, you guys know I pull no punches when it comes to this, but it, it's always amazed me how over the years, you know, I've asked people, are you a Christian? And they'll say, well, I'm, I'm a Baptist. And I'll say, well, that, that's, kind, that's kind of what I meant. <laughs> are you a Christian? Well, I'm a, I'm a Methodist. Are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Pentecostal. Are you a Christian? Well, I'm, I'm this or that. And it's in us to say, th- this is the group I'm in. It's like, if I can tell you the group I'm in, then it answers the next two or three questions for you. And for whatever reason, we love, and I think part of it is, is our desire to compartmentalize. We love being in, in the box, because the box is comfortable. And if we get scared, we just close the lid and weather the storm. It's like it's not enough for us to just say, I'm following Christ the best that I can. What are you doing? Okay, great, then we're on this journey together. But it's like, okay, if I'm Baptist and you're Methodist, then I guess you're going to heaven one way and I'm going the other. You know, I'm going to go in on the east side, you're going to go in on the west side. We probably won't even hang out in heaven. You know, you're lucky you're even going. And... (laughs) Thank you, brother. (laughs) I'll be here all night. When we, uh, you know, get religious, we nail down following Christ to the most bizarre things. Okay, let's talk about that for just a moment. Religion gets us hung up on all kinds of ways to do church. Right? So now... Following Jesus becomes something about how the way a service looks rather than the way our lives or the trajectory of our lives are actually aimed. So it becomes about things like what, what we talked about last week, just a little bit, the way we dress, or the way we talk, the, if we had tattoos or where you go or if you drink or if you smoke. And all these things can become sanctification issues, but they're not salvation issues. Can somebody say amen? Jesus will take you no matter what shape or form or color or background or socioeconomic status. If if you come to Christ, He is going to be there waiting to receive you. Now that does not mean that once we get to know Him, we look at our lives and go, you know what? I I probably should let, let that go. Why? Because we're growing more with Him. And Christ challenged His own disciples to open their hands of some things, to let go of some things. And He's going to do us the exact same way. But religion can come even down to whether or not people, uh, you know, think that you should have a certain lighting kit, or you should use projection or not, or that you would be offended that I would speak from a computer um it can even go as frivolous as what version of the bible you're using and all these things are tricks to get us distracted from the real issues of are we following jesus christ or not are we really on this journey of going and i believe this is the stuff jesus was addressing he was saying i'm so tired of you guys talking about that and getting hung up on that and thinking this way about about the Father. And so I've come to disrupt all of these things and I'm going to challenge your thinking. And he completely ignored religious protocol. Some people, and we've known them and maybe we've been them at some point, but they walk away from the church having said something like, if the church is going to be petty or police me or punish me, I don't even want to follow anyway. If it's going to get this petty or you're going to be standing over my shoulder, or you're going to be filtering my Facebook post, or you're going to be doing this, or you're going to be doing that. I don't even want to be with with you because you're punishing me, etc. And if that's you, listen, Peter would say this, hang with me because you're not going to believe what Jesus does next. And so in Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, keep in mind we're talking about him going against religious protocol. It says a man with leprosy came to him. Now, here is why uh, why leprosy was so bad, because lepers were suspended between heaven and earth. They, were, they really were. They were in this in-between category because the le- leprosy was an odd disease. It attacked appendages. <laughs> Fingers would fall off. Ears would fall off. A nose would fall off. And they'd keep on, keep on living. It's like they couldn't die, but they couldn't live kind of suspended between the two worlds. They couldn't be close to their kids, their spouse, their friends. So they watched from a distance the lives of other people from afar and never had the hope of having any kind of life, no purpose, no fulfillment, and no friendships other than other people that, that, that were similar to them. And in Mark chapter 1, and verse 40, so it says, a man with leprosy came to him, and begged him on his knees, and watch this statement, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. Side sermon. Let me tell you why this is strong faith. Because strong faith is this. It's being confident that Jesus can while being hopeful that Jesus will. It's being confident Jesus can while being hopeful that Jesus will. Now watch this, Mark 1.41, religious protocol. That's what what we're talking about. And he reached out his hand and he touched him. Now Peter is like, now hang on a minute. You can't do this. Now you're unclean. Now we got to make this long journey all the way up here, this northern region of Galilee, all the way down the Jordan River Valley to Jerusalem, and get a priest to bless you and cleanse you, and then we got to make the journey all the way back just so we can keep on going. You, no one has really showed you the ropes. You're a rookie at healing people. I mean, can you just speak the word, like "Be healed"? Can you do that? Can you wear a mask? Six feet apart from the lepers. Maybe that's what we are today, a colony of lepers. He reached out his hand and he touched him. And Jesus whole chose to heal people while ignoring religious ritual and political correctness. And I love this because in verse 43, he says, I am willing. And he touches him. And in verse 44, he says, See that you don't tell anyone about this. And the leper went and told everyone about this. And he says this, Mark 1, Now go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded. Don't, don't miss this. Jesus sent the healed man to do what was commanded of him through Mosaic law in Leviticus chapter 5, but he does not go himself. He says, you go and do it. Keep your reputation intact. I'm not worry about me. You go do what right now is culturally proper, and I'm going to do what I want to do. So you go do it. Jesus is adamantly communicating two things. Number one, he was the son of God. And number two, something new is about to go down. That's what He wants the crowd to know. He wants everyone to know, I'm not going to Jerusalem. I'm not going to the temple. I'm not going to be cleansed. He is. I'm not. Why? Because I'm the Son of God. Now, regardless of the anti-religious healing, people were on board with it. And this is even more surprising. In verse 45 it says, Yet the people still came to Him from everywhere. And it even prefaces that by saying Jesus could no longer openly enter a town. What does that mean? He was a celebrity. He can't just walk into town anymore without the crowds pressing him. And you guys know some of these stories. One time they are pressing him so much he gets into a boat and pushes out into the water so they can't follow him. And he teaches them from there. Crowds are everywhere, pressing on it. The second narrative is this. He's got the authority to forgive sin. And some in the church today still struggle with this, with Jesus actually forgiving sin. Now, here's, here's the problem some of you have. It's not that it's somebody else's sin. It's that it's your sin. If someone else gets forgiven, fine. But when it comes to you, You know you, and you know your story, and you know your vices. And so you think to yourself, there's no way that I could completely be forgiven, right? That I could go to God and talk to God and Him not see sin. That He would just see me. And you struggle with it. And they struggle with it. And in Mark chapter 2, get this, I don't have time to read the the text, but Mark chapter 2, Jesus is in a house and what's happened, what I just told you happened, is happening again. They've pressed into the living room, they filled up the bedrooms, they're watching by satellite television out in the driveway. And four guys bring their friend And they're like, we're getting in there. I don't know if you got friends like that, but how how awesome is that? They just show up, and they're like, oh, man. Joe, I don't think we're going to be able to get in there. And Ricky Bobby over here is like, oh, we're getting in. And he's got that strange, crazy look that they've all seen before because they've known him since high school. And he's like, let's get on the ceiling how do you want to do it? I don't know, there's got to be a ladder around back or something. I think this should be included in the story, these details, and they're not, and that makes me very angry with Peter. And they get on the roof, and, I mean, think about it. He's teaching, and all of a sudden, straw or whatever, insulation is falling from the ceiling. Ceiling fan falls down, and down he comes. You know, and you got to think, I mean, he left out a lot of stuff like, my first question is, was the homeowner there? I mean, and what was happening there? I mean, you know, who's going to clean this mess up when all you guys get out of my house? There's just so much left there that I want to know. But watch in verse 5 of chapter 2, it says, And when Jesus saw their faith, again, they're confident in Jesus' can, they're hoping Jesus will. He says to the paralyzed man, Child, your sins are forgiven. Okay, now, whoa, wait a minute. This has never been said before. You are forgiven. Not for hurting me. Not for tearing the roof off. Your sin. Whoa. Hang on. There were a lot of people teetering on the fence here. And now he's saying, I'm going to forgive you of your sin. Now the crowd is shocked because a mortal cannot forgive sin. And the paralyzed man is shocked because that's not why he dropped in. The religious leaders are shocked because there's no sacrifice, no temple, no priest. You can't just change thousands of years of church history with a sentence. Or can you? So Mark chapter 2, religious leaders are there and they've kind of gathered into a corner. And they're saying this. Who can forgive sins but God? Who who can forgive sin? They are upset about it. Who can forgive sin? And I love this in verse 8. He he looks at him and says, why are you thinking about this? How crazy would that have been? So now Peter's thinking he can heal, he can forgive, he can read minds. We have to be very careful with this guy. Very careful. And in Mark chapter two, Jesus gives them a very quick four point sermon. He says, "I want you to know." He's talking to those people who said, "Can only God forgive sin? I want you to know that the Son of Man, okay, he gives himself deity, status, has authority. Where on earth to do what? Forgive sin. So he says, I mean he is completely overturning. The communion table that says, this do in remembrance of me. The little silver trays with felt on them that you pass the offering in. He's thrown a hymn book. He has done all kinds of things that would upset the religious community. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. And keep in mind, in ancient times, there is a one-on-one correlation between sickness and sin. In other words, something is wrong with you because you did something wrong, okay? This is why in John 9, the disciples say, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? This was something that ran all the way through this culture of going, when someone is sick, they've done something wrong. So Jesus says to them, what's easier, to say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? Here's the big point. If Jesus can forgive the consequence of sin, which was what? Sickness. If he can tell a guy, take up your bed and walk. If he can heal the consequence of a sin with a word, it's possible. That he can also forgive sin with a word. This is why this was so, so big to them. Okay, now let me, let me end with this third narrative, and I'm going to close. He was so comfortable being around sinners. And all of us have had that moment where you look at someone else and you think, man, I should step up my game if I plan to follow Christ. We see a mentor, a hero, somebody who's popular, and we look at their life or we follow them on Instagram and that's all we see and we're impressed by them and amazed by them. We think that's their real life. And we go, man, i got to step it up so that I can follow Jesus better. Let me help you with this struggle. In Mark chapter 2, verse 14, it says, As he was walking along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. This guy was a tax collector. I don't have time to get into why they hated him. But I imagine you've got a pretty good idea. Now, Levi is who we, we call Matthew. Okay, But Levi, for the sake of, of the text, he's sitting at a tax collector's booth. And Jesus says to him, follow me. Okay, now, I, I think this was a problem. Because so far, you've got the fab five. I mean, you've got Jesus, you've got Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And I think Peter is like, Jesus, what just happened? We had a good thing going. We had a great small group. Okay? Um, I like them. They like me. They are just like me. We've grown up around the same area. We do the same things. Our parents know each other. Why can't it just be us? Why you got to invite the tax collector? And maybe this was a test for Peter, right? I mean, Levi has already lost his reputation. No one likes him. Surely he's not going to give up his bankroll. too. And I love this. In verse 14 it says, And Levi got up and followed him. Peter has got to be going, You've got to be kidding me right now. Now it's the six of us. Now we need a suburban and not. Let me close. Do you know who Levi is in our world? It's you, it's me. It's people like us with hangups and a history. Something back there in the rearview mirror, we wish we could change, but, but we can't. So we got to stick it under the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of an incredible God. That's who Levi is today. And I still feel like Jesus saying, follow me. Follow me on this. Change your heart. Change your worldview. Look at it differently. Look at the way you follow me differently. Don't get caught up on religiosity. Don't get sucked into a faction. But just follow. Just get with me. Just partake of of the good news. But Peter's way, if Peter was upset, his way was ending quickly. Why? Because the time had come. So Peter, James, John, and Andrew have a decision to make. Do we walk away? Or do we repent and believe the good news? And I'm going to talk about that next next week. This is what I I want you to do. I've never done this before, but I want to send you home with an application. I want you to get your phone out, and I want you to take a picture of this screen. Because this is what I want you to think about this next week. I want you to read Mark 2, 2, 2 through 5. The text says, when Jesus saw their faith, what did Jesus see that he equated with faith? And I want you to think about that and pray about it and soak on it. The second thing is we've all had an un- unanswered prayer. Can everybody say amen to that? Have you ever blamed yourself for not having enough faith? Read Mark one 39-40. How much faith did the leper have? Apparently it was enough for him. I want you to read those, those things. And we're going to pick back up here next week, okay?